0: Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are some versions of my journals out loud. And I think I have a new intro, so we're going to try this because I automatically defaulted into the older, old one. <clears throat> my name is Jill. I am woman of peace, wired for danger, dog mom of twins. I am here to serve those of us who are wired for danger, seeking to understand who we are and how and why we are here in every stage and season of our life. We are the calm in the chaos, but also the chaos in the calm. Our greatest joy is moving at the speed of our own light. Our greatest struggle is everything else. And today on this podcast, I realize it's been a little bit since I've talked to you. I've missed talking to you. So it's early. It's 515. I think today is Tuesday. I cannot express how disoriented I am. And in the podcast today, I'm just going to kind of go over a bunch of random stuff because I've had so much spinning in my little head that's really starting to coalesce and clarify who knows uh, where that will go? But one of the uh, the things that I have uh, come across is a lot of the science about how we retain information. And you really shouldn't talk more than 20 minutes if you're on target with one message. And the reality is, is, you know, when you're listening, you cannot take in a lot of different ideas. Uh, for me, I usually just use podcasts as kind of background noise uh, that allows me to get the crummy stuff in my life done, but uh, sometimes I want to be able to talk about things that matter, and so I think I'm going to try to create sort of additional short-term 20-minute journal-focused intensives uh, down the road, but I thought that was really interesting in terms of how we retain information. Uh, You know, if you watch something, that's the shortest version. If you listen, you have like a 30% retention. If you write it down, you have a 50% retention. But if you explain it or talk to somebody else, I believe it was like an 80% retention. So it's, uh, you know, and I always marry that with these other ideas, like 70 to 90% of communication is body language and doesn't have anything to do with uh, speaking, you know, hearing. Uh, You know, you've heard me talk about how the male and female brain listen extremely differently. We listen with two different segments of our brain. And that doesn't even start the whole conversation about our filters, about how we bring information in and what we focus on and why we focus on it. And, you know, I always hear all this stuff and it just makes me overwhelmed and uh, feeling discouraged because, you know, once upon a time, I felt like I wanted to share a very specific message. But uh, apparently, the only person I'll ever be able to talk to is myself. And so if you glean anything from uh, what I share, I will consider that a win as long as it works for you. So I'm in a never-ending phase of letting go of Uh, this idea that somehow we can share information that communicates what we think we're sharing versus just what's being absorbed. And at the end of all of this, you know, there's just a lot of uh, science that says, uh, you know, the best way humans take in ideas is through the telling of stories. And you know, I've heard that over and over and over again. I recently heard somebody say, and this is one of those things, who knows, uh, that our world was designed to be a storytelling world, which actually, you know, is really in alignment with oral history. I mean, people always told their stories uh, around the campfires, and how, you know, that was our entertainment, that was our mentoring, that was how we learned. Uh, And story construction is very simple. It's a three-act story. You know, you establish who you are. You present some kind of uh, set the stage, right? You present some kind of conflict or a question or a crisis, uh, and then you know the the resolution ensues, and you end with some kind of outcome. And uh, you know that's why. You know, we like happy endings uh, and we don't like unhappy endings if we're kind of wired for that. And then when you get those kind of stories that are ambiguous and they don't give you, which has always been my big downfall, uh, I don't put, I never put my videos in a story format. It's amazing how you can know all this and just not do it. Uh, But, you know, I never had any resolution because in my experience, I'm just flapping around all the time. Pushing on to the next thing. And so I was never good at sharing in tiny little stories, which is, you know, my failure, but it is the way we're wired. So I find all of this fascinating. And, you know, one of the ways I think we can really highlight how we filter in information uh, is for some reason, unbeknownst to me. And I'm sharing this uh, story about the Genghis Khan. Uh, Just because there's so many things I took from it that were relevant for today, I cannot express how deeply all this diving into history has really kind of clarified what's happening, why it's happening, uh, you know, what our real options are, things like that. But for whatever reason, you know, I stumbled on, I think I've been listening to women's histories trying to, because they tend to be full of Wired for Danger women, and I stumbled onto this one about Genghis Khan's daughters. Now, I don't know a lot about him. I know a little bit about the Mongolian culture. Uh, you know, I think there's always been a spark for me because they're nomadic people. Uh, you know, they're horse people. Uh, and their life is very uh, stark, which I can totally relate to because they're out on the steps. You know, if you've seen pictures of Mongolia, uh, it's just massive open lands and... Uh, You know, they live in yurts, which has always been attractive to me. And, you know, they have a rich cultural history. But here's a whole chunk I didn't know anything about. Because like you, I always heard, you know, Genghis Khan was, you know, this great warlord who just ran around and killed a bunch of people. Uh, What's fascinating to me about this moment in time is uh, we are... Learning so. Oh, the dogs are moving. Uh, we we're learning so much about what we thought was true. But even just this little tiny thing I'm going to talk about. Uh, I listen to other people talk about it. You know, it's either overwritten, it's dismissed, or. It's looked through a different lens, and that reveals a whole other fascinating. And then I got a big surprise that wasn't even on the radar about the same topic. So I thought I would share it with you because uh, this is not an intensive learning experience. This is just me checking in to say hi. But like you, you know, I'm watching the world destabilize, going, "Huh, I wonder where this is all going to end up." So. In the meantime, let's learn about the world that was and how it applies to us now. And so, uh, yes, Genghis Khan was extremely uh, focused on empire building. And he amassed a huge amount of territory that was multicultural. And what was interesting, a couple things. One is, you know, there's this idea that he killed one in ten people on the planet. He killed so many people. Uh, there's others who come forward and say that is statistically impossible for that to have happened, uh, and nobody knows uh, if it was maybe famine or other things. So you know, there's just an assumption because we like the the warrior warlord, violent, bloodthirsty. That's the filter that we like to filter through. But some of the reality for him, which would, to me, really not go along with this massively evil killing machine, he was raised by his mother. Uh, I don't remember what happened to his father, and she was very feisty, very strong. I'm guessing she was wired for danger, and I'm guessing he was, too. But he had a lot of respect for his mother, and therefore he had a lot of respect for women. And this is why it's important, you know, how we raise our sons. And so when he was in charge, he p- put part of his decree was to end all bartering and selling of women for livestock in the markets, meaning you couldn't know, you know, ending the human slave trading uh, market on women. He uh, outlawed raping women, and he mandated that when people got married, a man and woman got married, that they didn't have sex until the woman said she was ready to have sex. And I think that's relevant then, maybe not now. And that you know, a lot of marriages were probably arranged, and you were greeted with a stranger. I can only imagine, you know, being 14 years old, married off to some guy, not even maybe knowing what sex is and getting jumped from the first night on. I mean, talk about horror shows, you know, these young girls and women who got married off, you know, if you were lucky, you knew them and you liked them. But uh, I thought that is just fascinating how he would implement that in a world that we call, you know, terribly barbaric, but it doesn't end there. So that was his mandate on the kingdom. And as he was ruling the kingdom, uh, part of their culture was it's another word for heroic and courageous. It begins with a B, I don't remember it. But he was so. Uh, He was uh, not impressed with his sons, but he was impressed with his daughters. And so he put four daughters in charge of the empire, and he basically scattered them north, east, south, and west. And they each had an individual task. One was to create a government. One was to create a communication center. Uh, And the other two, uh, one went north to harvest resources for trade, And I don't remember what the fourth one had to go do. I think the one of them was a little bit of a warlord herself. But the one I wanted to uh, bring about is that, uh, well, the the one who was in charge of establishing a government, she looked to the existing government. And the, the caveat to this is the written language in their culture has only been in play for two years. This is only two years into having any form of written language. You know, so trying to imagine, you know, Uh, of communicating and orchestrating this massive empire with not even the written word. You can't even pass a letter, which he apparently never wrote anything down. And that's why this history never came out, uh, because he would not allow written records of anything. But we'll get to that at the end of this part of the story. And so what was fascinating is she studied all these different governments and, you know, didn't and could see, you know, what worked and what didn't work. Uh, The one that was in charge. uh, So she was thoughtful and intentional. Uh, What was really interesting was the one who was in charge of communication. She was on the Silk Road. Because his decree of not allowing violence to women it was further taken that there was to be no robbery or thieving. And so because it was the only time that that Silk Road was safe and trade and the economy exploded because people could trade without fear. And, you know, the reason I wanted to bring that up is so important, you know, as we move into our little survival scenarios in our mind, you know, terrified of what's coming down the pike here, is that by creating a safe network of trade, the economy exploded. And we're witnessing that right now in the Middle East, that the pirates, the Houthis, the the Yemenis, uh militant group, whatever they are. I'm not good in that. But all I know is that they're lobbying uh, pirates and uh, torpedoes and drones and all this crap at the ships over there. And as I speak to you, 60% of the shipping trade that goes through there has stopped. And they're having to go around Africa, which adds 11,700 miles. So it's a phenomenal three-week-plus, lots-of-money-plus journey that's being cut off by not having safe trade. Now, I I did see a headline that, you know, they're trying to band together some groups. You know, nations are trying to go over and stabilize the area. But, you know, the point being is that when you remove safety and trade, your entire system breaks down and you don't have economic freedom because you are bound to the violence. You're bound to the controlling. You're bound to all that's not wanted. And, and, you know, we have this image of, you know, terror on the highways throughout our history, the highwayman, you know, robbing, uh, you know, cowboys and Indians, the uh, Texas Rangers, you know, it, there is a very big violent history in most of of uh, our pre-civilization versions of experiences, because there's also a history that we don't know about. And I thought, you know, because the other piece of advice I heard was never trade at your own home. Never barter where, where you live so that people can see what you have. And I thought, well, that's something to file away. But you know, when we think about how to move forward, this guarantee of safety as and fairness is essential in terms of creating any kind of true movement forward. And that requires, you know, some kind of uh, consensus that we're going to abide by these rules. Not that we can do anything about that, but I wanted to plant that seed because it, it sounds Obvious, but it was revolutionary for that time, and you know, lots of things happened, and uh, you know, he that empire was one of the most prosperous. I think it's the only time in history that it was actually a functional economic period of time, Uh, and then the the girls though get zero credit because they only focus on him being this guy that ran around and killed everybody. And we don't, I mean, we know he did that a lot, but we don't really know what the reality around that was. And, uh, but they never talk about the daughters. And this is a man who's, that's his focus. He wrote the the history of this. His, that's his whole academic uh, professorial life is about Genghis Khan and, you know, that period. So I thought that was interesting by itself. You know, it's the demise of the empire, you know, he died, blah, blah, blah. Who knows plagues things like that. So they've never found his tomb. It was a secret, and uh, at some point in our recent history, they think that they've found his tomb. And in the unearthing process, they come up with this these uh, archaeological items that do not match one that time period. Or two, anything that we know in history. There's even these stones that are translucent, that glow, that are disruptive and have some kind of electrical charge in them and that are disruptive to other electronics. So that was really interesting. Then there is this, they talked about how 16 million men have genes that date back to, or DNA that dates back to Genghis Khan. Like somehow he is part of, his genetic line is part of 16 million people uh, in Mongolia. And then I heard this guy talk about, well, have you heard about the Mongolian blue spot? And I'm like, thinking, what the hell is that? I didn't look at the picture because you know how when you Google these things, you get scary things that come up to you. But apparently there's a good chunk of men in Mongolia who have this circle blue spot on their back lower side. And, you know, I think that's fascinating. How have we never heard about that? So what was fascinating to me about all of this is we have no idea What real history is because we filter information through what is important and relevant to us. So here is this fascinating chunk of time that that just that one little section we have no idea what's true. So I was looking for more information on the daughters because I thought you know that I love you know stories about strong women and uh, some I ran across something. The only thing I could find was this little short on YouTube and. His version was that the daughters were married off, and the only reason that they were married off was so that Genghis Khan could get more territory. You know when the the guy who's talking about the history the the men that his daughters married their names aren't even recorded in history and And so that may have been part of the strategy, but the real strategy was having the daughters do the work. And, you know, and it was very difficult because they were bumping up against cultures uh, of Muslim cultures and Chinese that didn't want to interface with women. And so it was a real thing. It wasn't a uh, token uh, marriage kind of a deal. Uh, but anyways, so I thought, you know, because that's the way we interpret it. Same thing when I started to learn about uh, archaeology in from a different perspective. You know, when women would go in as anthropologists and archaeologists, you know, they had a radically different perspective. And, you know, one that every stick was not a spear, you know, that that uh, maybe it was a garden tool. And my one of my favorite stories is... Uh, the archaeologists, some dig, found this stick with 30 or it was 28 marks on the stick, and they were confounded, and they couldn't understand what this, what this symbolized and what could it mean, and if I was to say to any woman, you know, uh, in her 20s or, you know, later, what would you think a stick with a 28-day mark was? <laughs> Right. It's our cycle. It you know, and why would you want to track it? Because as any woman will tell you, it makes a difference where you are in the cycle, how you feel, what you physically need to take care of. Uh, There's a lot of value in knowing what's going to happen to your body, especially pre. Uh, disposable, you know, items in which you can deal with the mess of all of that. And so, uh, but but the men had no clue. They couldn't understand what that could mean. And and it shows two things. One is we don't think in terms of cycles, but two, we filter everything through our perspective. And then we think we're right. And we announce how we're right. And we claim authority about how we're right. and And the reality is we just, there's so much we don't No, I just thought that whole thing was, it was an interesting story. It provided excellent future survival uh, ideas. And it's a perfect reflection of how we filter information through the lens that we want to know about. And, you know, we are a culture that uses violence to solve problems. Even if we don't think we're doing that personally, uh, we are witnessing that happen around us because that is our cultural mandate. As we put, what do we have militaries in like 160 different countries? I mean, we, we have like 800 military bases out around the world. Why do we do that? Because we are... Showing the world that you don't do what we want, we will crush you. Now, we're just at home and we're not thinking about that, but that is our cultural export, you know, the American military. And that is not a sign of good faith, it's a violence uh, as power. And, of course, that's all changing, you know, as the rules of the game and war and things like that are changing. But it just really, to me, exemplified, you know, why story is so important. But more importantly than the story itself is how we filter the information, what we take from it. And part of, you know, what I've been doing these last uh, couple weeks is, you know, I talked a little bit about just wanting to, I'm looking at how I'm telling my own story, and realizing how I'm just telling it in so many of the wrong ways. And what I focus on, and then end up sharing is not my strength, it's my frustration. And that's because that's how I focus my time and energy is I'm always focused on the next thing I'm trying to fix solve take care of let go of not thinking about what's going well and I you know I had a conversation yesterday and with someone and it made me realize how uh, yes there's lots of things you know I'm not excited about you know sitting out here uh, in the middle of nowhere but at the same time it's like you know it's between 45 and 50 degrees. The coldest it's been is 30 uh, at night. It's just really nice to not be fighting the cold all the time because winter for most people is, is an intensive, exhausting experience in terms of fighting the elements. And it's really nice to not be in full on push against the environment, you know, trying to get through winter. And so it's a, uh, what story we're telling ourselves, what story we're telling other people is really important. Uh, I think to understand ourself and where we are, and then ask the question, you know, what do we want to do about it? And, and, you know, one of the other things that I'm noticing is that, uh, you know, as things are escalating in slow motion. You know, I think, I don't know about you, but I always feel like war just explodes. And now that we're living history, it's very uh, progressional. It's actually not an exploding event. I think when you look past into the past or historically, it seems like, you know, we shrink the timeline. Uh, But when you're living it day to day to day, it's very methodical and logistical. You can't just you know, jump into war. There's a lot of preparation that has to go for it. There's a lot of logistics. And, you know, we've got all these people online right now who are sharing the logistical processes, which we've never been exposed to. You can see how it takes time to organize uh, the destruction. Nature's the only one that seems to come in with one swift kick, you know, whether it's a a storm or a sunshot or whatever. But, you know, as we're watching, you know, ourselves slowly march into something that none of us want, you know, there's a increasing hystericalness about it that's going on. And like you, you know, I'm kind of watching all of that, trying to decide, well, what do I want to do in this process? Because I can't control any of that. Uh, I can participate, but I don't choose to participate because uh, I just don't believe in it. I don't think it's going to solve a problem. I think we're moving spiritually to a point where we have to understand how to solve problems in a non-violent way. Uh, And I opened, you know, with that statement, Woman of Peace. And I've never talked about that with you guys because uh, I was just never there. Still getting there, but... Uh, It's something that was given to me in my 20s, and I have a little statement about that. And I know it's old because it's on my dot matrix printer. Remember those? It was my first printer. I don't remember when I got the words, but I printed it out. When I got my dot matrix printer. So that's very old. Uh, and I've held on to it all these years because I was just never there. It was kind of an internal mission statement. I don't like when people say, oh, I got a vision and they think they're right and they announce that the whole world needs to agree with them. You know, I think those things are just for us. And so it was just for me. And I was just, I've never, ever been there. But one of the things that I'm stepping away. As I relook at my story, is that, you know, my question with you on this whole wired for danger stuff is one of my questions is how can you be wired for war? Like everything in me just wants to kill what's causing me the problem. And that may be literal or figurative, right? I'm gonna kill the mice, I'm gonna kill the flies, I, you know want to kill the dogs. You know, not true, but it's just, you know, there's that push, that violence within me and others that we want to fix the problem by eliminating it and just moving on. Well, that's not a constructive way to function at out in the world, uh, because as the golden rule says, you know, do unto others. I don't want somebody killing me because they think I'm in their way. I would rather find, you know, a different path forward. So how do we make How do we resolve things when we have to, you know, I think what's happening is we have to grow up. How can we find a way forward that doesn't involve violence? But my question has been, if I was here to talk about peace, which I tried to do back then and it just didn't resonate for me and so I put it away for all these years, is how do I do that when I can't? you know, my problem solving is I just want to conquer and kill everything. And part of what I think has happened, and I think this is true for a lot of us, you know, the best way to understand something is to understand what it's not. And maybe those of us, so that's what I have in my opening intro, we are the calm in the chaos. So in the midst of chaos and crisis and violence, we are the calm. But the flip side is we are also the chaos in the calm, meaning when everything is boring, life is miserable. And I am becoming extremely aware of of my inability to deal, you know, with my day in and day out boring life, uh, because the, I'm not wired to live out the mundane on a day to day basis. I am wired to be in the crisis, but I can't live in the crisis, right? Because that burns you out. And yet, you know, we're brought. I think I believe I don't know, but I believe you know a tiny percentage of us are brought into the world to be. Calm in the crisis, but that's like not very often. And then we've got this whole rest of the day in our life of calm, because most of life is just boring, repetitive routine. And we tend to get chaotic. We tend to stir things up. But then I started to think you know, when life is too perfect, maybe to grow and to evolve. We need to be. We need pot stirs. We need people to cause problems, so that we can all keep moving forward. So to me, that was a really interesting idea because we have this idea that peace is supposed to exist as the absence of conflict, and nobody should ever feel out of conf, uh, out of peace. We should live in this la la peace. And, you know, I was doing this thing where I was trying to imagine, well, what version of the world would I really want to live in? Uh, And I don't want to live in tyranny where there's massive control. And I don't want to live in some kind of la-la land where everybody is just soft and gentle and peaceful, you know, but you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to say, oh, wouldn't that be great if there was never any disruption to our calm, peaceful, blissed out, perfect world Uh, And I thought, well, maybe people like me, like us, come into both environments. So when things get too controlling, we rise up and push back so that that process keeps moving. But also when people are too la-la, maybe we create chaos to get them out of their comfort zone because we only move forward with motion, not just static existence of repetition. And I don't know if that's true or not, but that sort of came to me. So the next question, well, what does it mean to be someone who is peace? How do you represent peace? And to me, it's the ability to hold focus in any situation, regardless of what's going on, not to control everything that's going on so you can hold focus. And it's that shift. And uh, and it takes a lot of strength to be peaceful in the calm, infinitely more than it takes to be calm in the chaos. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. I started watching the series I've seen before, uh, called The Strain, and it's about uh, looking at vampirism as a virus and so they're they're tackling it from a biology. Uh, one of the reasons I was interested in that is I picked up at the library book, I Am Legend. And that's the original, uh, you know, we saw Will Smith and I Am Legend. And I think also, uh, not Clint Eastwood, the other one. I can see him, Planet of the Apes. Uh, Charlton Heston, he played I Am Legend. And in the original, uh, it was set in the 70s. I think it was written in the 50s. Uh, the vampires, he figured out, was bacterial. And the reason it spread so quickly in his version was that the bacteria was in the wind, and they were having terrible dust storms, and the dust spread it. Uh, In this version of the movie, it's a virus uh, that manifests as a worm, and the worm transmits uh, from person to person. So it's a, a fantasy world, but always relevant as we move into these interesting times moving forward. But what I noticed about their life is they were, it was, you know, it starts off with the daily and the mundane and I'm too busy and work is calling me away. And the wife is upset and divorces the husband because he works too hard. And, uh, you know, the son is stressed out because he has to pick through his mom and his dad. And, you know, it's just all the normal, normal stuff until... The crisis kicks in. And then life is all about the wired for danger people pushing into the crisis, right? The whole story shifts to all the people who are focused and functioning, which is the wired for danger people in the midst of terrible crisis. Everybody else is either a zombie vampire or a screaming victim. The All the fight, all the flight Freeze, people become background fodder, and the whole story focuses on the wired for danger people who are in hyperfunction mode, and and some you know a little few extras. But what I was looking at, realizing as I am in the nightmare of my what I keep calling my Groundhog Day, like every day is the same. Is life is so simple when you're in pure crisis or your pure survival mode? There's none of this other crap that you have to contend with. It's the minutiae of civilization. the all the calm that's supposed to be conflict-free life of peace, meaning, you know, where am I going to put the trash and I got to do my taxes and which permit or regulation do I have to pay for this month? And, uh, you know, are my tires starting, my tires are starting to crack, you know, I all this crappy-ass minutia, that is the death knoll for those of us who are wired for danger, it is excruciating. And that is why we become chaos, because that minutiae of boredom is the opposite of what we're wired for. But that's where most of life exists. And how, uh, you know, if you're Genghis Khan you don't you don't do well when it's calm you run around and you terrorize the whole empire culture pushing 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 right empire building is pushing pushing boundaries pushing into other cultures uh it's push 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 and then holding that boundary and pushing out further and holding that boundary Uh, You know, when you decide to go with violence, yeah, that's what you can do. Uh, You can do it financially. You can do it with a uh, biological weapon. Push, push, push. I mean, it's all violence in the sense that it's all conquer. It's all push out. And so, you know, when I talk about these super simple principles of push, pull, pause, uh, everything I have just described to you can be reduced To push, pull, pause, want, don't want. And so, you know, my takeaway from telling you these stories, you know, isn't to tell you what to do, how to think, what story to hear. It's that there's an infinite amount of information and stories, and it all boils down to who we are. Why are we here? And what is our purpose? Are we here to farm? Are we here to. Uh, you know, one of the guys in the uh, the movie is a rat as a as a, an exterminator, and he's extremely bright. you know, he turned down a, a a master's scholarship at MIT or something. I forget his dad, you know, was upset with him because he's in the the bowels of New York fighting rats. but he's really smart about it. And, you know, I forget what his motivation was to do that, but he knows a lot about fighting vermin. And, you know, he's able to see that the vampire population is behaving the same way that rats do, because uh, they're living in, the vampires have moved into the subway system and the sewer system and the rats moved out. That's how he got started. And, and so, you know, we're all wired for different things. We're all wired to be a part of the bigger picture. And, uh, you know, another poem that I had written was uh, ended with the line, you know, moving at the speed of my own light. And that's always been like one of my favorite sentences I ever wrote because I only feel good when I'm moving at the speed of my own light, which is usually not in sync with anybody or anyone. And it's very rare. And I can do it in my own head at my own speed and feel comfortable. I can't do it in real life with real people. And how we all have our own speed. We all have our own light. We all have our own story. And all of our real power comes in which story we want to tell ourselves, which filter we want to move through, and and then there's this massive collision between all of us that tell different stories, and you know we and when I keep you know making uh, references to the pundits, you know the people online are just yelling louder and louder and louder because. Our peace comes when our story is often right, when we feel peaceful, when we're right about our story, instead of understanding that peace is something that we choose regardless of what's happening around us, uh, and that if we wait for perfect justice, we will never have peace. And I believe Uh, you know, justice is really accountability and we must have accountability. We will never have perfect justice. You know, I learned that as a social worker. Uh, It just, you know, I finally got, there's no such thing as human justice. Uh, It's only our ability to trust in divine justice. So I can't see perfect justice maybe in my lifetime or experience, but I can trust that at some level, the system ekes out justice in some way, but it's not my responsibility. You know, we can as a culture hold people accountable, but we cannot create perfect justice because we just don't know everything. And uh, so all of these, you know, ideas and stories and details and history Uh, You know, we're just seeing so much repeat, 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 but it's really through the filter that we choose. And, you know, the wire for danger, especially the men, choose the filter of the warrior of violence, of conquer and control and winning and winning at any cost and protecting at any cost. And I'm not saying that, that violence should disappear. What I'm saying is that it doesn't solve the problem. And it doesn't create peace uh, unless you kill everyone and everything. And, you know, I think when we look back at history and we say, oh, that's terrible. They killed everybody in that village or they killed all the children or the firstborn sons. You know, they didn't. The only way that you can keep your enemy from seeking revenge is to scorch earth it. Right. There is no more enemy. The enemy is all gone. And that's the only way you can ever prevent Uh, the enemy from rising up against you at some point in the future. And we're just naive. We don't really know how to think about these things in a complex way at a cultural, where there's a simplification. And we do that because we can't stand... the idea of responsibility and accountability. And so we create these stories in our head through these filters where we're comfortable. We may not be peaceful, but we're comfortable with our blame, who we blame, who we focus on, where we focus, where we put our time and energy. And, you know, as all this stuff is going on and all these ideas are percolating, you know, it's, it's still reduced down to how do you personally want to experience your life, because we're not going to change the cycle and the flow of all of this. Uh, you know, you just every time I see pictures of what's going on the border, it just it's getting worse and worse. And the numbers of people, I'm so glad I'm not down there. It's shocking how many people are there and and they're going somewhere. And its you can't even really compute what that means though I keep making the joke, if I didn't have the dogs, I swear to God, I would go down there and put myself in line for one of these $5,000 cards. You know, I could get some money that way because they're just handing out money left and right. And I thought, as long as I don't speak, they don't know what language I speak and I can just play like I'm deaf. But, it, but the dogs, I figure, would be a giveaway and I can't leave the dogs in the car, right? So in an indefinite amount of time, But um, I thought that would make a great investigative uh, journaling piece, right? Just to go down and put yourself in line and see if you can get the same benefits that all the uh, other people are getting, because obviously they're not checking IDs. uh, but, But it's overwhelming what's happening to us, and it's just ticking away, and we all know we're moving into more intensity, more intensity, more intensity, and most of it we can't control. Most of it we can't plan for. Uh, and the reality is, is if you're a wired for danger person, this part is excruciating because we're kind of in, you can't do anything about it. We're just ticking off the days till that time hits a pure crisis. And then we can kick into gear and function. And life becomes extremely simple because your only focus is to survive, which is very different than this idea of, you know, prepping for survival of X, Y, and Z. When it's pure adrenaline crisis, that is the only time we are moving at the speed of our own light. And rarely is peace going on out around us, but we have that calm peace within us uh, and everybody else is the opposite. So, uh, this is just you know a lot of me rambling. Just things I've been thinking about because uh, I'm working on something uh, that I'm excited about. But of course, I don't trust myself. So, um, I've been thinking about all these ideas and how I'm going to restructure things because uh, I know I have not been telling you all and other people the right story. And how do I do that? And part of that is listening to other people's stories. You know, what is it that I connect to? And then with the people I respect and admire so that I can figure out how to share what's valuable versus me just sort of venting, you know, what's in front of me as my own problem solving process in motion, which is still important and viable, how we process all the things we don't want within ourselves is vital to any level of uh, function and forward motion and uh, peace and evolvement and growth and healing. You know, the ability to process is vital. But in the meantime, uh, I thought I would touch base and say hi, just because it's been a while. And uh, I hope you all are doing well. It just looks like there's a lot of wild weather going on out and about for everybody. And uh, we're going to get some rain too. And I was you know, packing up for the rain yesterday and it occurred to me that I did not pull out my raincoat. So I get to unpack everything and look for my raincoat again, but I'm super grateful because it will be 50 degrees when it's raining and not 10. So Very grateful that I am not dealing with lots of snow, lots of ice, lots of unbearable cold temperatures. And if you are, I hope you're warm and cozy and you have a nice big pile of wood or a nice good heater that keeps you warm uh, as we are charging to the Christmas holiday season. And then we launch into whatever the hell 2024 is going to be because we are marching to war. But for today we are theoretically in some state of peace. And so I just wanted to say hi. And with that, my friends, we're going to take a deep breath. Oh, and then just as a last caveat, uh, the picture that I posted was of the saguaros. And I keep, I'm learning I cannot take pictures with the damn dogs. you got two dogs pulling on you. You cannot focus any camera. But What's fascinating, that's the most normal looking saguaro, you know, that we're used to with the arms that go up. They all have this really intricately different structure. And, you know, what you never see is the bottom halves are completely rotted out and full of holes where the birds burrow in. And then the top keeps growing. I'm, at some point, I want to take pictures of these swallows because it's really interesting. But I like that picture. That was a sunrise, you know, that happened a couple days ago. Uh, and it's a brand new day. So with that, my friends, deep breath, and I will see you next time.